T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I think I've always had the stance that, yes, I want to play here. I love the city. And it's so, I mean, the biggest thing with this whole the trade rumors that has disappointed me is the fact that I feel like people, not everybody, but the main reasoning behind it is that let's get rid of him now because he doesn't want to be here in two years. He turned down this monster extension well north of 200 million. And I'm like, well, where was that? I never saw that. I mean, it's just these rumors and sources and people just saying things and it's like, the only thing that matters is what comes from my mouth. And never once have I said I never wanted to play here. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song, he sweeps along. Swaggering boisterously. His face is weather beaten. He wears a hooded sash with a silver hat about his head and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. And the winter wind is something that our next guest with that walk-up music is avoiding. Mark Gonzalez of the Chicago Tribune joins us on the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. Gonzo is in... Arizona, and we resent you for that a great deal. Hi, Gonzo. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. So we heard Chris Bryant coming in, and he wonders where that two hundred million, that contract offer north of two hundred million was. What did you make of that specific part of Chris Bryant's um, session today? And overall, what did you make of what he had to say and the way he said it? He was very pointed in his comments. Um, you know, the 200 million figure that was shot down last year, uh, by numerous people, including myself, but I think the, coming out of his mouth, that made it more firm that he was fed up with what's been, uh, said or reported out there. And I think this is like a 36 minute, I'm going to set the record straight on things. Um, he did, he had some humor at times, <laughs> joked that he threw through tables after losing the grievance, which obviously he didn't do, um, but he was very determined to set the record straight in his eyes as to uh, what's truth and, and what is uh, manure out there. Hmm. Uh, what else did he seem upset about at the top there in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of rumors or things that had been written and he caught wind of? What did he seem upset that, uh, that had been out there and had been wrong, Gonzo? 
the, the, the allegation that he didn't want to be here, that he didn't like the city, he said that's farther uh, from the truth. I think that was one thing that uh, that he felt hurt by. Um, the other thing was the grievance that um, that he was very, very upset, which you know he understood. He even said he knew it was going to be an uphill battle. And then the little nugget at the end was just on how uh, – disturbed and angry he was over the uh, astro science stealing uh, scandal. Mm-hmm. We wanted to talk about that, but I want to get back to, to Brian um, making a point to say that he got off Twitter, the worst thing to ever happen to the world, um, two years ago. Last year he dumped his Instagram, but he mentioned that you guys, you evil media guys, that his friends would send him screenshots of whatever was written. And I'm thinking, if you're a friend of Chris Bryant, why would you send him that? He clearly doesn't yeah. want it. But I thought he showed a remarkable, the continued maturity we're used to seeing from him and a, and a good deal of, of leadership. If he was going to set the record straight, he was going to do it in one of the most mature and graceful ways I've seen a guy do that. Do you get that? Do you come across that too, Gonzo? Yeah, I mean, he... You know, he, he says, you know, he doesn't hold any grudges against people, but he, he reiterated just how upset he was. And, and you know, getting back to his friends and that stuff, I'm sure I'm sure if friends wanted to reach out to you guys while you're watching your favorite teams play and they want to talk knowing, hey, uh, you'll be around, but they don't realize that, hey, you have other priorities at that time. So it's kind of kind of like, hey, we're, we're on your side, Chris. You should know about this, but um, – you know, he, he didn't want to hear that, and, and I'm sure that there are people even closer to him that, that let him know in you know general terms, hey, uh, this is what's going on. Sure, certainly he's been aware of, of what's been happening here uh, throughout the winter. And, you know, even, even uh, November of 2018 when uh, there was first uh, the thought of him being moved and a report that Theo was – doing some background work on who might be interested in his time. And in Theo's defense, a good, a good uh, leader does his homework on that stuff for, for situations like these where the team is, you know, up against the uh, luxury tax threshold and definitely has some long-term needs in terms of young starting pitching. I think the one thing that gets overlooked here is that, you know, the rotation could lose 60% of, of its pitchers next year. And, you know, they're not deep – in, in, in starting pitchers at the AAA level or, or major league ready guys like the Braves and a few other teams are. So um, let's not lose sight of that. You know, it, it's interesting. It, uh, he still might be traded, right? Right, Gonzalo? I mean, it's like yeah. it's, it's very rare for this stuff to happen this late. But, boy, Nolan Arenado talk won't go away. Bryant talk won't go away. And they really haven't had that time, much time to work on it. He talked about wanting to be in the loop on that. Uh, I, I don't know if that's conceivable. Like, I think about Ryan Dempster being in the loop at the trade deadline. That's one thing. But keeping your superstar in the loop when he's got two years left to go, um, it's hard for me to, to imagine that one. But uh, what do you think of the chances that, that, that a trade still happens between now and opening day? I wouldn't say it's as, it, I wouldn't say it was, it's as, as high as it was, you know, saying in November. I think the grievance had something to do with it, not all of it, but had something to do with it. And then you see teams uh, that that address address needs, you know, by either getting a third baseman or uh, spending the money elsewhere and hoping they can get by, you know, 
in certain ways like the Rangers for now have done with you know, Frazier, but who's to say they wouldn't move Frazier to first base and, and try to get a deal to, to get Brian. I know it's going to uh, involve a lot of gymnastics to get that done because there might not be a specific match in terms of what the Cubs would be looking for in terms of young impact starting pitching. And, you know, another scenario, and I'm just throwing through, maybe there's a third team involved. You saw it done earlier this month with the Dodgers, you know, Twins and, and Red Sox. So um, a lot has to happen. Um, I'm not as high on a trade as I once was because, you know, we're so late. Uh, as, as we get closer to the opening day, that um, a lot has to happen, but I'm not going to rule it out. I still think there's a chance it gets traded. Our guest is Mark Gonzalez of the Chicago Tribune, talking Cubs here on The Score. Steve Rosenblum, Matt Spiegel with you. So, movie, changing the subject, for a guy um, <clears throat> whose contract will keep him here on the starting staff, is you Darvish healthy or not? I think he is. I think if it was, if it was more... Uh, eerie or scary or concerning he wouldn't have been out there with the rest of his teammates he would have been getting treatment so um it's it's maybe a speed bump maybe he was you know certain pitchers have dead arm periods you know sooner than others i think it's probably just a precautionary measure at this time and let's go to kyle hendricks talking about the changes did that surprise you when he talked that not that kyle hendricks wouldn't try to improve but did you think that much was was missing? Was it too radical? What did you make of the way Kyle Hendricks talked about the the approach he was taking this offseason and into this season? I was a little surprised, but at the same time, this organization has gone undergone a big overhaul in terms of its uh, pitching and hitting development, mm-hmm. and also uh, on the uh, strength and conditioning side. You know, they brought in Adam Beard over a year ago. He's got a, a background in rugby from Australia. He had a cup of coffee with the Cleveland Browns. It lasted maybe two years, but here um, you're starting to see his uh, fingerprints all over what's going on. You see a lot more core work, a lot of uh, specific training rather than the traditional methods. We'll have to see how it works, but, you know, there's a few guys that bought in. I noticed a lot of the pitchers, you know, throwing the heavy balls up, you know, working on their core. And in the case of, you know, Kyle with his legs, uh, that was that was kind of interesting because you know sometimes I you know I get to the ballpark about seven thirty in the morning and he was out on the balcony with the yoga instructor working on that and he still does uh, the yoga work but now uh, it, it's it's more detailed in terms of his leg work and all that. Well, you know, there's nobody who loves the mechanics and mental side of pitching more than Kyle Hendricks, and he has always like swallowed every bit of information that front office can give him. So if there's new stuff, I guess it's not a surprise. He's, he, he's, he's taking first it in. in line. Yeah. He's not, he's number one in line. What's interesting is how, um, how comfortable he was talking about the benefits of a new voice in David Ross this week. Hendricks saying new voice, new voice. This is good. New voice, new voice, new voice. It's, uh, <laughs> uh you know, I think Joe, I think Joe Madden kind of stepped in it this week, didn't he? Just a little bit, Mark. When he brought it up that there were philosophical differences, he kind of forced everybody to talk about it in a in in, in a in a new and, and revamped way, and, and people weren't afraid to say what they thought about Joe. Exactly, and it was a little little revealing how much. And I know we're only in the first week of spring training, so you know the the champagne's not going to be on ice. But I mean, a, a lot of guys have talked about. Uh, the refreshing changes around here. And I mean, like Joe, even Chris said, 
he still t- stays in contact with Joe, but I think a-, a lot of guys have been on board to saying where they're at in this stage of their careers in the franchise that uh, it was time for a change. And I think the, the openness of the players that have come in on it is a little, a little uh, surprising to the extent they've talked about it, especially Kyle, who usually, you know, he could probably play for anybody. And he was pretty open about, you know, how refreshing it is to play for David and the fact that, you know, David might, might kick some ears a little bit and, and, you know, Chris said the same thing. Lester said the same thing. So, um, you know, winning the guys over right, any, right away is the first step. No, because Ross is here. Kyle already knows Ross isn't going to yank him in the fifth inning of game seven <laughs> of the World Series. But let me, you've covered any number. What is the number of managerial changes you've covered in spring training? Because I want to ask a, a comparative question. Do you know? Changes, did you ever count them up? As far as like, Managers have covered. Yeah, how many uh, first year? How many times do you come into spring training with a new manager? David Ross is one. First year manager. Okay, Joe Madden was another. How many managerial Dusty, changes? Yeah, Dusty Baker in '93, Bob Brinley in 2001, um, Robin Ventura, uh, Ricky Renteria, and then you know David, and, and then you know Joe has had some experience already, but okay. a lot of first year guys I've had. Okay, so. The we you talked about the fact that players are speaking more freely, or perhaps they're they're showing more love to this new manager. But step back of what and compare the first couple of weeks of a spring training under all the other new managers. Does this sound the same? Is this the the usual clatter, the usual noise, or is this different some way? I think this is different, and it's different because David's not that far removed from the field. And I think on top of that, these guys uh, have, have played with David. So they've been in the foxhole with him. So I think that's what separates David from the rest of them. Now we'll have to see what happens when games are played and, and how he orchestrates, you know, the lineup and, and in-game moves. I think he's going to have, you know, 8,000 people trying to help him with all the people they've added. But, um, <laughs> Uh, in in the end, it, it's got to be David's decision because if it's not David's decision, then, then he, the players is going to wonder who's calling the shots here. All right, Gonzo, appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Um, I, all I can say is stay warm. It, sometimes it dips to as much as sixty-two degrees in Arizona. I just want to make sure that you're not that you're all bundled up, you're all layered up the right way, Gonzo. I went to an Arizona State game, baseball game last night, and I was in a long t long sleeve t shirt to the fifth inning. Oh, poor baby. Okay, well that's I, rough. I, I hope you <laughs> I hope you, you start hypothermia treatment. Thanks, Gonzo. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right. That's Mark Gonzalez joining <laughs> us on uh score here, Saturday suckage. So you heard what you guys say. I will um let everybody know we have a phone number, three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. And our tech zone is 67011. The tech zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at rosenhyundai.com. Bryant uh, said something this morning, and there was a long pause about something that I, I want to play for you a little bit later on, see what you thought about it. But some of his strongest stuff was about the Astros. And this is a really unique moment around baseball where mm-hmm. players and managers in every camp are being asked about one team and they're ripping them to shreds, destroying them. And they're, 
this idea that you don't uh, that you don't badmouth each other in a sport that is not happening right now. People are very comfortably, willingly crapping all over one franchise, and a big part of it is because their apology doesn't seem to be very it's, forthright. It's not. A, it's a dishonest apology, disingenuous, and uh, we'll run it down. And there are a lot of people who are happy to just spray the room. And we've got some of those people who are doing it. He's Matt Spiegel. I'm Steve Rosenblum. We'll come back with that. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Well, obviously through the whole process there was, and then he texted me about a week ago. Um, but there wasn't much, and I didn't take it as a bad thing or a good thing. I mean, he's got stuff he has to do. He has got to get ready for the year. He's got a busy job. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of just like any other offseason in terms of communication. Um, but, yeah, I mean wasn't much, but like I said, it wasn't a bad thing. That was part of Chris Bryant's 35-minute, 36-minute session with the media today in Arizona. Welcome and welcome back. Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Steve Rosenblum, Matt Spiegel with you on Saturday Suckage. And uh, the WB Club, we have some WB Club news, Wake and Bake Club news. Later on, we were discussing Chris Bryant, and uh, he was tired. That was in reference to a question about, do you want to be kept in the loop? If there are trades, talks, do you want to be kept in the loop? And, yeah, and, and also... Have you talked? Were you kept up to date? Did you want to know? So really what the Cubs have done is treated him like any other player. When we trade you, you'll know. And that's all you need to know for now. Go up and hit. And that's kind of the way it is. And I, and he seemed to accept it. That's the way, that's the business we've chosen. That's the way it is. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's pretty rare for somebody to be completely in the loop on that stuff. Right. And they got in trouble when they let, Ryan Dempster in the loop. He was overhearing conversations they were having with the Dodgers. He was, he was involved the in the Cubs conversation. The got roasted. Mm-hmm. He was involved in the conversation when they traded him to the Rangers. He was there. Like, there were some speakerphone conversations, and, and Ryan uh, was sitting right there. But that's a, that's a different kind of situation. Chris Bryan also had something to say about the Astros cheating scandal. We've been wanting to get to this. Um, <clears throat> spleens are built up. Bile needs to be extracted and and hot air needs to be blown away. So do we have that? We have Chris Bryant's thoughts on, he was asked near the end of this after we got done with all the Chris Bryant all the time. What do we have the Dodgers? You've got Cody Bellinger. Yeah, this is Cody Bellinger. Yeah, but Bryant did talk uh, a lot about it, and there's like there's like four or five minutes of it, which are awfully strong. Bruce and I played around the top of the ten o'clock hour, so that 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 chunk is there. If you want to get to it at some point, Steve, it's it's basically worth he said it. that that the the players should have been punished absolutely, even though they were the ones who gave all the evidence. And Bryant said five million dollars for a team fine is weak because it could be made up quickly through beer sales, and he thinks. This sign-stealing scandal was worse than steroids. So that's that. Mm-hmm. Other people weighed in on it, including a member of the team that had the World Series stolen from under them, Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers. I thought the apologies were whatever. Uh, I thought Jim Cranes was weak. Um, I thought Manfred's punishment was weak, giving him immunity. 
Um, I mean, these guys were cheating for three years. Um, you know, I think what people don't realize is Altuve stole an MVP from Judge in 17. Um, everyone knows they stole the ring from us. I know personally I lost respect for those guys. Um, I think I would say everyone in the show, in the big leagues, lost respect for those guys. I don't know what human hits a walk-off home run against Raldis Chapman to send your team to the World Series. And one has the thought to say, don't rip my jersey off. But two, go in the tunnel, change your shirt, and then come out and do your interview. Like that, that makes no sense to me. It makes zero sense to me. Because I know me, Gary Sanchez said yesterday, you can rip my shirt off, my pants off. I sent my team the World Series off for all this Chapman in the ninth inning at home. You can do, you know, I'm going crazy. Cody Bellinger talking about the, uh, uh, his, his anger. And there's so much anger around there. And, and KB was very pointed this morning. Um, how much of it is because Bregman and Altuve came out and gave those canned apologies, Steve, and then Jim Crane, even before that, with the, uh, I don't think I should be held accountable. Oh, okay. And I don't think it impacted the World Series. Yeah. And then a minute later says, well, I didn't say it didn't impact the World Series. Yes, you did. Well, yes, you did. Yes, you're just, you did. you're disingenuous. There's lack of contrition, a lack of remorse. It was a, it's a horrible look, a horrible sound. They don't care. Their, their problem is they got caught. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that bothers them. I, I spent a lot of time listening to those on that day. A few of them did talk and take questions. Um, Altuve was better when he was by his locker talking. Carlos Correa was really um, effusive, uh, apologetic, seemingly very open as compared to a lot of the other ones. And really was a guy who seemed to understand what had happened and was ashamed of it. And I, I left that day thinking, man, Correa gets it at least. And it's not a guy I would have expected. I don't know, just because I've always – I just liked Springer so much as a guy, like mm-hmm. Altuve um, so much as a guy. But Correa was the one I left that day thinking, man, he just gets it. But then Correa today went on the record with Kenny Rosenthal and The Athletic and went really far and really hard the other direction on a couple things. He says that Altuve never cheated. He says that Altuve didn't want the, the, to hear about the trash can. I don't believe that for a minute. Altuve was is Correa's big brother. I mean, I've talked about this a lot. Like Altuve was the guy who like taped Correa's name to the locker after he had seen him in spring training and had been told this guy's coming and soon you guys will be good. Like four, five years ago, before the Astros got good, okay. and he was like, "Oh, Correa's coming. That's going to be my guy." And Altuve's the guy. And Correa goes very, very hard defending Altuve, saying he never cheated. He never wanted anything to do with it. That's hard to believe. He goes hard on that. He tries to give context. Game by game, hit by hit, during the 2017 playoffs and World Series, trying to say, we won that fair and square. Correa says, we won that fair and square. And tries to give you moments that were on the road and moments when the pinch runner was somebody who hadn't been involved and moments when they were using multiple signs and all this stuff. Trying to parse it, like at bat by at bat. Mm. And now at this point, Carlos... How can we believe anything that comes out of your mouth? Just because 
you seemed to be the most honest one the other day. You were part of the lying and the cheating for one, two, or three years. He also says that they weren't cheating in 2018 and 2019. Nobody believes that. Not for a minute. He says they weren't using buzzers. Sorry, but nobody believes that. He says Altuve had a half-finished tattoo on his shoulder that he didn't want the world to see. That that's why this Altuve. just gets lamer and lamer, Cor- doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Correa just keeps going and going here, and I don't know. And now I'm at the point where, like, look, some of the stuff that he's saying here might be true, but now you're the cheater that cried tat, you know, or you're the, <laughs> whatever the hell you are. You're the liar that cried buzzer. I mean, I don't know what you are, but it's like, I can't believe anything that you've said. This is the cost of that kind of lying and cheating, is that why should I believe anything? That you say at this point. This is the famous Bob Arum quote, boxing promoter, legendary boxing promoter, Bob Arum, mm. who once stood up there said, yesterday I was lying. Today I'm telling the truth. That's what he said. That's what Carlos Correa would want you to believe. Another outspoken critic, and this was before anybody could prove anything, but he spoke out before Mike Fires, Trevor Bauer, Reds pitcher, yeah. then with the Indians, was talking about Something's going on over there. And the Astros were mocking him. Nothing's going on. We're just beating your butt. Nothing's going on. And he was livid about the hypocrisy, livid about their their lack of character, living about their you know amoral stance, which mm-hmm. if you're stealing something, you're stealing something, and that's the way it goes. In The Athletic, he was asked, did it anger you more when you saw the press conference yesterday, which is what we're talking about here. Yeah. What did you expect from them? The entire time they had been super dismissive, and it's very obvious they don't think it affected the game. They feel like they were in the right. You can tell a fake apology when you have to give an apology, but you don't want to apologize because you don't think you were wrong. You can tell what it is when you see it, and that was it. They didn't give a bleep. Of all the people I saw speak, not a single one of them actually meant what they were saying. Yeah, you have to say the words in that situation. I would rather them just come out and say, quote, yeah, we did it. We're not sorry about it. Yeah, we cheated. We'll take the penalty and come beat us. At least that would be honest. Just tell us how you actually feel. Don't lie. You've been lying the entire bleeping time. Now you're lying about your apology. And then he quotes Jim Crane. This is Trevor Bauer. Yeah. We don't think it affected the game. You're either lying or you're a bleeping idiot. And you don't become a billionaire owner of a team by being a bleeping idiot. So you're lying. I don't know. How can you not think that affected the game when you know what pitches? That's just ridiculous. And Trevor Bauer angrily, and he went on about it, and he makes perfect sense, and he kind of summed up the the, that bile shooting up from all of us of the injustice of it all and Mm -hmm. making the point about there are – I don't know where this lawsuit's going to go, Bolsinger's lawsuit. It's not going to be the last one. That's for sure. Well, now there are about, I think somebody counted up nine players who might have a case who face the Astros, nine pitchers who face the Astros and never got another shot in the majors. Bolsinger never got a shot in the majors after that. I think there are others, but he's the one who filed the lawsuit. And I know we should get Eldon Ham on, Scores Legal Expert, to see mm. if this could actually be, could you litigate this? I mean, they're going to try. I don't know how far it would get, but... I love the idea of that. I also love Michael McKeon. The the magical, wondrous, multi-talented Michael McKeon, mm-hmm. who tweeted out, Hey, Astros, glad you're sorry. Give back the rings, then bleep off. 
Yes, <laughs> Michael McKee. Seriously, the I I I I understand where he's coming from. I, I, while we're rolling here, let me reference one more player. Okay, this is Kurt Suzuki, the Nationals catcher, guy who was catching and laying down the signs in the World Series against the Astros just this past year when they won all four games. In the, on the Astros field where trash cans might have been a banging. Well, I don't think they were using trash cans, but they were probably using some other ways because uh-huh. they had moved on. Remember that, and it was in the report that they had moved on in 2018. Be, the Astros did not use the trash can banging system in 2018 because uh, it, it, they didn't think it was, any, was effective any longer. That's what they had said. They'd gone to in-person communication and trying to get it to the the, sec- the runner on second, um, you, but still using code breaker. Do you think the Astros were still cheating in the 2019 World Series? Thomas Boswell, the Washington Post, asked Kurt Suzuki, the catcher, right? Mm-hmm. Quote, oh, yeah, no question. We could hear it from their dugout. We heard the whistling. What are you going to do? He said what the Nats did was change signs on every batter of the World Series, sometimes within an at-bat. When they sensed that a swing at a tough pitch was so good that the Astros cheating might have caught up with the Nats system. When Max Scherzer has two strikes on you and he throws one 98 miles per hour near your head and you smash it. Come on. Nobody does that. Mm -hmm. This is more Kurt Suzuki. The catcher laying down the signs. We got a couple of big strikeouts when their crowd was so loud they couldn't hear. The whole thing was crazy. I got messed up on signs a couple of times, had to call time, take us out of rhythm. I kept thinking, we have to go to the field and work early on our signs in the World Series just to stop their cheating. It's so stupid and so wrong. All their players insisting today that they didn't cheat last year, they just got better at it, Suzuki said. I'm with them. It's the opposing catcher. Yes, all of it makes sense to me. Uh, so we'll take a break. We'll come back with your phone call. 312-644-6767. Also, cheating is historically been part of baseball. Stealing signs and cheating. And a Hall of Famer had talked about it. It was written about. And you White Sox fans might want to listen up. So we'll do that when we come back. He's Matt Spiegel. I'm Steve Rosenblum. Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Matt Spiegel with you. Saturday Suckage, top of the hour. Speaking of Suckage, talk to David Schuster. We'll talk about the Bulls. Yeah, nice national representation there. We'll bring that back. We'll talk to David about all-star festivities and dying on the hill that is Jim Boylan. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? I blew it. I blew it hardcore. I've only had, what, two and a half, three years to plan for uh, this weekend and, and all-star festivities. And? I want to go tonight to the all-star Saturday night. I wish I was going to this event really? tonight. Absolutely. Because you want to take roofs? No. I want to no. ta- take my wife. Oh. I want to go and I want to be a part. Because here's the thing. Maybe every year you're that person saying, ah, this stuff sucks. And then by the time it happens. <laughs> you if almost went Pinello there. If you're there watching, by the, like on TV, by the time it happens. Man, that looks cool. Like, the dunk contest is cool. Dunk contest is cool. And the fact that it's here, and just the volume of absurdity. Like, oh, my God. I won't deny that. Oh, the personal absurdity of people who are in attendance and the uniqueness of, of it happening right here. 
I just, I, I blew it. I should have done more to try and, and get tickets and get there just for tonight, not for the game itself, but for tonight, for the ridiculousness that is tonight. And then I don't know if you've looked on the secondary market, but the ticket prices are ridiculous. I have not looked. Oh, I had no intent. What are they? My God. Well, if you want to sit close, you want to sit close tonight, you're looking at somewhere between eight and twelve thousand dollars. Wait, excuse me? Yeah. Like you want to sit on the floor. This is not Michael and Dominique doing the dunk contest. It's it's, it's the best it's the best they got. I mean, oh you know, Zach is in the eight three point twelve thousand yeah. dollars. We had a guy from SeatGeek on yesterday. He says this event is breaking all star game records and all star Saturday night is breaking all star Saturday night records because wow. the United Center is smaller than a lot of other venues. And the whole thing is Kobe-infused, which is adding a level of emotional resonance to it. And Chicago, even though it's cold, is awesome. So people have been dying to come here for Chicago and planning to come here and do this in a way that they were not, say, last year for Charlotte. You know? So it's it, it's breaking records, this entire thing on the secondary market. I had no idea. I never would have guessed that. Yeah. I, I would expect it to be a little day of event be higher like tomorrow i would have expected the all-star game to have a more the the, the secondary market price of tickets go up a little bit but what you're saying yeah that's it, ridiculous it, it was a record tomorrow the game itself has a higher average price is what he said yesterday we had a guy from seat geek on um the the director of communication for seat geek said Higher average price for the game than for saturday night but the top end tickets for tonight are going for a higher ticket. And I, you know, we only had, I only had two years to think about to it. To practice. Yeah. Only to had two get, and a half years. To align, to get your game plan ready. Sure. To... Well, yeah, there were options. You could have, A, uh, bought tickets. B, called everybody you know in the business and tried to line maybe, up for tickets. Maybe if you knew somebody at the, at the Bulls flagship station, uh huh, you could have <laughs> worked your way to that point. I already tried him. Yeah. I already tried him. I, um. I blew it. I didn't watch it, but I saw where Common. Yeah. Now, Common and Chance the Rapper were the team captains, right? They, they For the were celebrity indeed. teams. Yeah. The celebrity game last night. So Common was voted the MVP of the celebrity game. Now, I didn't, I didn't watch. I caught up on this. Can you help me? Does this follow through with that? Was that the moment then when he accepted the MVP trophy that some random Reinsdorf walked out and presented Common in front of these fans, these Chicago fans, this Chicago icon presented Common in front of the greatest players in the game. They're in your city. Hmm. Did some random Reinsdorf present that guy, that icon of cool and hip and au courant with an equity stake in the team? Oh, they should have, right? Just go ahead and hand well, I'm it sure off. I'm sure they did because they're such a brilliant organization. They're right. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they gave. They seized that opportunity. These marketing geniuses seized the opportunity to to show off all of the great players in the league. Show them why they should come here Man. to recruit the great players in the league who have refused to sign here, but then common. As MVP, and here you go, here's one of our new owners and presented him in front of everybody, all of the great players, and all of the all of the 
royalty from around the NBA that's also in town. So tell me the Bulls did that. Yeah, they should have. I think it, no, they did that, right? Because right. they're they're marketing geniuses. They're such smart businessmen. I just thought I'd bring that up. You know, I think it's funny because locally, for us, I think the big headline, the big emotional headline of this All Star Weekend, yes, is the disconnect between Chicago as a basketball mecca. Anthony Davis is here. Dwayne Wade is here. Common and Chance the Rapper are your MVPs. Pretty cool. Pretty pretty high on the cultural totem pole. Have guys like that. The Jordan statue. Everything everything and just all the players. Well, Dwayne Wade's here, right? Dwayne Wade's here. Jordan's Pat- supposed to be here, right? Patrick Beverly is here to compete. Pat- Scotty Pippen's still around. Uh, you know, Doc Rivers is still one of the best coaches in this league. I mean, everywhere you look, uh, all these these guys with Chicago bona fides are here and none of them have a connection to the Chicago Bulls. Derek Rose is here. Derek Rose is here. Gave an amazing, um, some amazing words at a symposium the other day at UIC, talking about mental health, opening up about PTSD in his youth that he dealt with and how it affected him for his entire life and still does. I mean, Derek Rose is here. All these people are here, and none of them, none of them, have a connection to your Chicago Bulls. That disconnect. And that's by design. That's, oh. that's everybody in the NBA has a 10-foot pole. So you, They yes. all have 10-foot poles. Uh-huh. And they're not touching the Bulls with it. <laughs> all of them. And you're right. That's why, like, uh, the, uh, the moment Obama, or the idea. Obama, by the way, was in the house, too. There you go. So, I mean, Zion Williamson says that's, that's number one or two on his list all time. So if you're talking about... The impact, if you want to be in, if you want impact free agents, mm-hmm. so Obama was in the house. He's got nothing to do these days, right? Yeah, yeah. Common the, wins. You've got an audience. They're really, are, are the Bulls that lame? Think about that. The volume of people here, the basketballer president, you know, I mean, everybody who's here with a connection to Chicago and basketball, and none of them are connected to the Bulls, and none of them are are uh, able to be utilized as a tool to recruit stars to come here and play. None of them. So then we hear the chance of fire Garpak. What a terrible job by ownership and management to have connections. Continuing. Continuing. To have connections to none of that stuff. None of it. So I wanted to, I I alluded to this before we went to break, and we were talking about cheating and and, uh, the, the Astros and, Baseball, sign stealing has long been a part of baseball. Generally done, the guy on second, the runner on second base, or somebody from the bench figures it out. Joe Nosek was brilliant at it for the White Sox on the bench. And the, the one of the more famous sign stealing scandals before this was the New York Giants in 1951 stealing signs and coming back on the Dodgers and and then the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. This goes back even further. Uh, and is a, this is from Bill Dow of the Vintage Detroit blog. It's about Hank Greenberg, former high, Tigers Hall, uh, yeah, former Tiger. He's a Hall of Famer. 1989 autobiography was edited by Ira Burko, and it was published three years after his death. And he said they were stealing signs in September of 1940, and credits that as a reason they won the pennant. And how it came about is rather unbelievable. Greenberg said the day after Tommy Bridges had pitched, the great Tiger Hurler was sitting in the left field upper deck of Briggs Stadium with his hunting buddy. That alone is a story. 
The injured third baseman, Pinky Higgins, that was his buddy. So Bridges is holding a new rifle, which he purchased and had a telescopic lens. When he looked through it at the catcher, he could see the signs. Here's how Greenberg explained it. Quote, the next day we decided to test his ability to read the pitches, and sure enough, he sat up in the stands with Pinky. When the pitch was signaled for a fastball or a curveball, they had arranged a predetermined signal to relay it to the batter. It didn't have to go to the coaches or the bench. It went directly to the batter. This is 1940. This is Hank Greenberg and the Tigers in Briggs Stadium. Strangely enough, you could look right over the shoulder of the pitcher and look out in the stands and see the signal. Greenberg went on to explain that the team brought one brought one of the minor league managers into Detroit, and he sat up in the upper deck with binoculars where he gave the signals. Even when the stands were full, Greenberg said the players knew exactly where he was sitting and could pick up the signs. Greenberg said the two players who refused to use the signs were Charlie Geringer and Gerald Walker, and the two who profited most were Hank Greenberg himself and fellow home run hitter Rudy York, hmm. quote, wrote Greenberg. I think the record will bear it out. As I remember, between the two of us, we hit one or two home runs for 17 consecutive days during the month of September. Either Rudy would hit one or I would hit one, or sometimes we would each hit two. I think it was picking up those signs that were instrumental in enabling us to win that 1940 pennant. So he's talking about really what clearly would be ruled is that's you're getting it off the field. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's illegal. Beyond. That is absolutely illegal. But listen up, White Sox fans. He used to be an executive with the White Sox. And he wrote, in 1959, when I was with the White Sox in the front office, and we won the pennant in Chicago, we stole signs from the center field scoreboard. And I'm sure a lot of other ball clubs do the same. As a matter of fact, it's been rumored the Yankees were stealing signs of their center field scoreboard for years. I know they had a lot of success against Bob Feller. A lot of hitters who didn't figure to hit Feller had good records against them, and I'm sure they were helped by knowing what was being pitched to them. So your 1959 White Sox winning the pennant because guys were stealing signs from the center field scoreboard. Well, that's what makes this moment so interesting, that you've got all these players and all these teams coming down so hard on the Astros in a culture where it has long been mm-hmm. um, accepted. But the commission came out after 2017, right? Came out after 2017, after the Apple Watch stuff and said, The technology part of it. You can't do it. You can't do it. Yep. And so a lot of teams, if they were thinking it was okay, they stopped thinking it was okay, and the Astros just went right on rolling. No, they claim they didn't. Yeah, bull crap. Yeah. All right. So, all right. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will speak to David Schuster about this weekend all-star events that are much too expensive for Speaks in the city of Chicago, <laughs> celebrating your wonderful 2019-2020 Bulls. Saturday suckage indeed. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com. 